Thank you so much. Thank you, John. It's great to have my dear friend John right here in the front row, and I appreciate that warm welcome. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here, and it's great to know that, as you say, other things are happening. Uh, I'm uh, following on my phone while I'm here news from uh, our new day in uh, England, which is also happening at the same time, and uh, there's some 7,000 teenagers uh, gathering there. And uh, this morning's news was fascinating that uh, a school teacher got permission, I don't know quite how, to take his class on an outing, which was to go to New Day. <laughs> and uh, uh, that, was a, that was an unexpected development. And uh, the, the, the note said, every one of the class has responded to the gospel <laughs> at New Day. And... Uh, <laughs> There's a, it's a great photograph of them uh, all standing around in a circle and being prayed for as they're just standing there. So uh, many are being saved, many are being uh, filled with the Spirit, and I'm sure tonight will be an outbreak of uh, healing as they go for that on the Friday night. So, hey, it's wonderful to be part of an ever-increasing family, and I'm so thrilled. I was blessed last evening seeing uh, the various leaders uh, speaking of their expectation, their commitment to being together, uh, to being here. I thought that was so inspiring just to see those faces, know what that represents in terms of leadership gift and people gather up with them. So thanks for making the trip. I know you make such long journeys, many of you. Um, in the UK, we live in this tiny island, so no one has to make the journeys you have to make. And I so appreciate people who say, come on, let's go and get on the road and, and get here. And we do want to serve you and be a blessing to you uh, in terms of response to your faith. We ride on your faith, your response, your uh, commitment to Jesus. So it's a great joy, wonderful joy to be here. And I want to speak to you this morning uh, from uh, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. I just apologize if you're turning to there if my wife's not with me. Uh, Ingrid said to me, if I'd known Wendy wasn't coming, I wouldn't have offered hospitality. <laughs> it's just, I'll remember that when I go back. And tell. <laughs> uh, my sister who lives with us, it seems, I've just heard uh, again late last night, that probably it was a slip disc that she had and uh, she'd been in a lot of pain and so my wife had to stay back and look after her and uh, that's been uh, tough for me as well as even tougher for her because she would love to have renewed contact with so many of you who are dear friends and she'd love to make new friends and just be part of this tremendous occasion. So she sends her love and asks to be remembered. Maybe I'll take a movie later on and send it to her. Uh, but I'm wasting enough time here. I'm going to get into this word. Okay, Second Chronicles. What time are we supposed to finish this? 11.30. Great, thanks. Excellent. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read one verse. Now you've taken all that trouble to find that verse. Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that we heard last night. Thank you for, Lord, an understanding of the days in which we live, the calling to live for you in the midst of it, to bring you glory, to build radical churches that speak into this generation of another age, of another life, of another kingdom, an alternative society. Hallelujah. And Lord, we pray right now, Father, for the Holy Spirit 
to keep teaching us, leading us. Lord, we ask you right now, Lord, thank you for your promise. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask, we ask you right now, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Be our teacher. Lead us into truth. Bring us into your purpose, Father. We ask that we may learn from you in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we read that David, King David, the mighty King David, having fulfilled the purpose of God, fell asleep. In other words, yeah, God raises up people. God establishes a man as important as David, but ultimately David falls asleep. David has finished his life. He fulfilled God's purpose. That's a great testimony to have at the end of your life. But God's plan keeps going on. God moves on with the next generation. God raises up the next one who's going to lead his people for that season. And Solomon is the next one who comes into line in the scripture story. This one who's going to take uh, responsibility. He's the one that is established. And we see, first of all, that he established himself securely over his kingdom. It speaks about uh, security, speaks about being in a place of some strength. He's there, he's established. We might say, sounds like a kind of self-made man, sounds like the guy who was prepared for this, perhaps the one who came through the training, maybe the one who, yes, uh, is the evident leader. But actually, that's not how it is at all when you think of the background of Solomon. You wonder, how was this one chosen? You think about Solomon for a minute. You think, actually, David had other sons David had several sons, but Solomon, you could argue, had no right to exist. His parents, yeah, David and Bathsheba. And when you think about that, you think about Bathsheba was already somebody else's wife, somebody who didn't belong to David, and David snatched her for himself and abused her. Ultimately, later, they they get married. He kills or arranges for the death of her husband and then takes her to himself and then they have a child called Solomon and you could say Solomon you don't even deserve to be on the planet you're not well well, who are you what are you doing here and it's amazing to me that God's purpose reaches down to ones who don't have any rights or any call or any uh, strength in themselves they don't have anything to present to God and that is often the story in the scripture God says in his word he hasn't chosen the strong he hasn't chosen the mighty he hasn't chosen the significant he chooses those who seem to be thoroughly disqualified they have no knowledge of God in fact that's true of the, all of us Gentiles we didn't have any expectation of a Messiah we didn't have any covenant promises we weren't part of God's special people we were far off the Bible says in my morning reading this morning that's what I read in Ephesians we are far off far off you had no claim on God you are hopeless helpless without God and God came and snatched us out of that he brought us out of our hopelessness. We'd had no knowledge of God. Who's God? When I heard the gospel, I said, what are you talking about? Become a Christian? Born again? What on earth are you talking about? I'm not even interested in these things. And there came a moment in your life and mine when Jesus put his hand upon us and snatched us out of our ignorance and our thorough disqualification and made us his own. And, and that's Solomon's background. It's not that he, he's the obvious guy. 
God had a purpose. God had a sovereign hand that brought him through. It's a wonderful thing that when God brings you through, then you're his. And he kind of stands with you. And we need to let that capture our hearts. That when he's committed himself to you, you're, you're his special choice. You're his delight. He uses extravagant language. You're my special treasure. He thinks, special treasure? Yeah, that's you. My special treasure. I delight in you. It's amazing. You know, I love that story of Abraham. Abraham, I mean, he was not a very impressive guy, especially at the beginning, uh, when it looked like his life could have been in peril because uh, his wife, who's getting on a bit but was still stunning, she must have been quite a girl, uh, she is in danger of being snatched away by somebody. And Abraham thinks, the guy could kill me. So he says to his wife, his wife, tell him you're my sister. I mean, impressive, eh, girls? Tell him, you're my sister. And so that goes ahead. And this guy takes him, her to his home. And nothing's happened here, but you think, what peril? He's just put his wife in. This terrible choice of God. This man God's chosen, this father of all who believe. This Abraham, who's God's put his hand upon him. And then when when his wife gets into this household, everybody gets sick. And the guy says, what's going on here? And he kind of calls on God, and God speaks to him. He says, don't touch that woman. She belongs to my prophet. Your prophet, yeah, the liar outside. I mean, he <laughs> uh, and, and he says, he says that he says this. My prophet will pray for you. He'll pray for me. Yeah, he'll, he's my servant. He'll pray for you, and you'll be healed. And Abraham prays for him, and he's healed. You think, this is amazing. Once God puts His hand upon you. Once God has started engaging with you, his commitment is extravagant and amazing and wholehearted. He is committed to you. You may think, but I'm such a weakling, I'm such a failure. I even, my words are not always, hey, I'm for you, I'm with you, you're mine. He chose Abraham and stood with him. He said, when he prays, you'll be healed. Wow, Abraham. Now, Solomon, we're told here, Solomon was God's chosen. It's similar with Jacob. God chose Jacob. He's a crook. God stayed with him until he became Israel, a prince with God. See, God loves you. He loves you as you are, but he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He's got a program for you. And here, this man is on his program. So here, he's, he's aware of being chosen. Are you aware of being chosen? It makes such a difference to know that somehow from the beginning, he's chosen us for salvation from the beginning that he has sovereignly chosen you Jesus said this you didn't choose me I chose you I appointed you to go and bring forth fruit this sense of belonging should make us feel like people of destiny people of purpose sometimes Christians don't get hold of that Winston Churchill when he came to be prime minister during the Second World War, he said this, I felt as though I was walking with destiny. Christians should feel that. There's no indication that Churchill was a Christian. It doesn't say that he was. But he felt he was walking. He, he got a sense of destiny. Whatever that was for him, it captivated him and gave him immense impact. Immense impact. He felt, I am the voice to this nation at the moment. I am the one that can bring these people through. 
and he lived to his calling. Now we need to be absolutely thrilled with the realization God has interfered with my life and called me to himself. David says to Solomon, be strong and build this house for the Lord has chosen you. The Lord has chosen you to build a house for his glory. God's chosen you for it. And to know you're chosen just builds such strength into you. It fortifies you. Okay, so Solomon, we're told, established himself securely over his kingdom. Now, it's interesting, that's a very brief statement in Chronicles. Now, as you know, one of Kings and Chronicles run parallel. A, little, a, bit, a bit like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they run in parallel. They tell the same story from different perspectives. So Chronicles and Kings are like that. And Kings tells it slightly differently, although it's got a similar phrase. 1 Kings 2 says this, Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. Thus the kingdom was established. Now, in Kings, it tells you how it was established. In Solomon, it just says, it was established. In Kings, it says how he did it. How did he do it? Well, with absolute ruthless and shocking commitment. He killed other people so he could be king. He put to death things others that wanted to be on that throne see what happened was that there were other other sons and uh, you may remember that there was a son called Absalom who tried to take the kingdom from David and he was a handsome guy and he tried to steal the kingdom away and, and that was God dealt with that and that was put down and then when David dies there's hey there's an empty throne and the other people think hey I, I could be on that throne and David's uh, uh, Absalom's next brother who's also uh, a handsome guy and feels hey I could be and so he makes a bid he says I'll be on the throne and then he asks for uh, Abishag to be his wife. Now, Abishag was the kind of uh, beauty queen of Israel. You may remember when David uh, was getting very old, and the old King James puts it so beautifully, he gat no heat. He's very <laughs> old and cold. And uh, so she's chosen as his hot water bottle, and she's a real hottie, but he's, he's, he's not... He doesn't touch her, the scripture says, but she's a stunning, she's the beauty queen of Israel. Choose a beautiful one just to keep David warm in his old age. And, uh, and this, this guy says, I would like to marry her. And it's a political move. If David's mm, friend was my wife, that gives me visibility. That gives me, and then one of, one of uh, David's mighty men goes and joins him too. You'll find that uh, Joab one of David's great soldiers says I'm with him I'm with him so here David has said the Lord has chosen you Solomon and this guy says well actually I'd like the throne and I'm, I'm making some political steps to make that happen and Solomon put him to death Solomon was ruthless because he knew he was chosen for the throne now beloved the language of scripture is similar to that in the New Testament it doesn't tell us to put other people to death it tells us to put to death things in us that want to be on the throne of our lives. It tells us to be absolutely ruthless. It tells us, look, you need to put to death all sorts of things that want to grab your attention, want to grab your loyalty, want to mess you up, want to stop you fulfilling this calling God's put on your life. 
There's purpose he's got for you. Because you are precious in his sight and he's got value in your life and has something for you to accomplish, it's not just, you're not just being messed up as a private person. It's not just you making silly choices. You are being stolen out from what God had planned for you. And so he's ruthless. He puts to death other alternatives so that the reign of God can be established on that throne. Jesus demonstrates the same sort of thing when he says, look, if your eye offends you, tear it out. What? If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, that's not because Jesus wants a lot of one-eyed, one-armed followers. He's saying, be ruthless with things that you know mess you up. If you find that your gaze is too easily taken, if you find your hand is not at all disciplined, you need some ruthlessness because you're a chosen servant. What are you doing? That's what he's saying. You're chosen, you're mine. What are you doing? Just be ruthless. There's a wonderful, exciting ruthlessness about it. You don't feel that Jesus is a kind of just cool, laid back. You know, I'm doing a kingdom. You might like to come along. No, he said, someone says, can I follow you? And he said, follow me. He said, well, I just want to first bury uh, my dead uh, parents. He says, listen, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me. Whoa. That sounds so kind of focused. That sounds kind of ruthless. That kind of, he's in your face. He means business. And Jesus has that note about him. He speaks in that kind of way. At one time they say, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? You're preaching, you're healing, the crowds are all around you. And then it says this, Jesus' mother and his brothers are on the edge of the crowd and they're getting concerned about him. And the word gets out and comes back to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are there, they're kind of concerned. You know, at that time some people say, he's so eaten up with zeal. And Jesus just says, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God, they are my mother and my brothers. You think, wow, Jesus. You see, we've got this gentle Jesus, meek and mild thing, but there's something about Jesus. He's, we sing about it. His eyes of fire. Sword coming out of his mouth. This is the Savior we follow, and he's not playing around. And he's inviting us to come into a destiny we don't deserve. We're like the children of David and Bathsheba. I'm trash. I'm worthy of being thrown out. And God, in his infinite mercy, took hold of some trash and said, I'll give you a life. I'll give you a purpose. I'll make you fruitful. You didn't choose me. I've chosen you. Beloved, you've got such value on your life. We're not saying, oh, I decided to follow Jesus. I might decide something else next week. You're called up into something of global, eternal significance. It's vast and huge. And God wants you to be responsive to what he's saying to you. So there's a ruthlessness. Paul says this, You've died and been raised with Christ. Therefore, put to death the members of your earthly body. Immorality, impurity, passion, greed which amounts to idolatry. Put it to death. See, repentance means this. You don't ever get to do it again. That's what it means to repent. I used to do this. Well, repentance means you never get to do it again. You say, wow, never. That's like dying. That's right. That's exactly what he said. 
put it to death. We don't play with it. We don't fool around with it. We don't do it sometimes and say sorry later. Put it to death. That's what Jesus is inviting us. We, we deserved hell. He said, come to eternal glory and I'll give you significance. I'll give you fruitfulness. Take it seriously. And Solomon took seriously. God's chosen me. So established, he established his throne. Lay aside every encumbrance, it says in Hebrews, and the sin which easily entangles. Throw off every hindrance. You have to be ruthless. Joseph was ruthless. God had called him. God had given him a vision when he was a young man. He gave him a dream. You, others are going to bow down to you. And he was arrogant. He was ignorant of what that meant. But one day, Potiphar's wife drew close. And no one knows. No one can see. His brothers are far off. His parents aren't there. And he just fled. He just said, I'm out of here. He wasn't called to mess up with Potiphar's wife. He was called to reign in Egypt. That's his calling. So he's ruthless with things that mess you up. Ruthless. Put it to death. Won't have it. Message says this. The message translation. Solomon took a firm grip on the reins of his kingdom. I heard this uh, bit of an English phrase maybe. Well begun is half done. Well begun is half done. As a Christian, I started so badly. I asked Jesus into my heart. And I, 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 was, I wasn't ruthless with anything. I let all kinds of trash stay there. It needed a later crisis for me. Where God said, I want your life. Come on. And I thought he said to me, it's now or never. And I've, I have true fear of God. First time in my life, fear of God. I said, Lord, you had the whole thing. And I ruthlessly cut off everything, which I'd never done before. Have you done that yet? See, God wants you to be established in his kingdom, which means you have to be ruthless with things. Ruthless with things. Popularity, pleasing men, being a gossip. You like gossiping? No, be ruthless with it. Stop it. Stop it. Put it to death. That's what he says. So he established his throne. Okay, that's the first thing I see about him. Now, if you turn over the page, it's interesting. If you turn to Chronicles chapter 2, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1, that starts saying this. Now Solomon decided to build a house for the name of the Lord. All right, he decided to build a house. Now, if you use a different translation, you might have in your ESV, for instance, he purposed to build a house. Or if you have the old King James it says he determined. Or if you use the NIV, it says he gave orders. NIV is out of step with the others. It says he gave orders. Why, does, why do they do that? Why does, he, why does the NIV say gave orders? The others say he purposed or he determined. Well, apparently, and I looked it up, it says, it, it says the Hebrew word is he said. He said. And so the NIV has interpreted, well, if he said, he must have said it to somebody. That's what they thought. Well, he said it, so he said it to others. The others have said, no, no, what it's saying is this. He said it in himself. He purposed. He made a decision. He purposed in his heart to build a house. He said it inwardly. He made a decision. I'm going to do this thing. He's been called by God. David said to him, God's the Lord's chosen you to build 
a temple, to build a house for God. This is a huge step in Israel's history. This is a great uh, step in God's ongoing program. He wants a house where his glory can dwell, where he can take pleasure, where his manifest presence would be found. Uh, and he's going to do this. So he purposed in his heart to do it. He made a decision. Now, this is one of the things, so wonderful word Ian brought us last night about the culture we live in and how this culture is prevailing on us so much more than it used to in the past. That was true of Israel. Israel had, when they lived in the land, the promised land, there they had temptation to sin, they had problems, but when they got out of the land and they're in a completely different culture, now they're swamped with other values. Swamped with them. As it was saying last night, we're, just, we're in another land now. That's what it's like for the church. We've, we used to have the church, then there'd be Christendom with all these kind of values which somehow endorsed Christianity. It's gone. It's gone. Now we're, we're absolutely in a foreign land. We're in a foreign land. And, and Europe's ahead of you, but you're catching up fast. You're catching up fast. And the pressure to conform is huge absolutely huge so he made a decision he said I'm going to do this now we, <laughs> we live in an age one of, one of the characteristics of this age is indecisiveness have you noticed that people don't like making decisions I mean even the phone phenomenon you know it's funny isn't it we all have our cell phones uh, we all changed in my lifetime some of us have seen this happen you think what's going on here now we all I sit on the tube in London the underground and everyone's looking at their phone it's just amazing. We all live in this world now. But what happens is instead of saying, well, I'll see you on Thursday week, it's in the diary. Okay? We're committed to it, see you Thursday week. Now we say, I'll see you. When? Ah, oh, hang loose, I'll call you. That's how it is now, I'll call you. But when? when? No, I'll call you. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, what does that mean? It means, well, I'd like to see you. If something else better turns up, forget it. <laughs> Don't call me to make a choice. I don't want to make a choice because that means I'm committed to it. And, and the, the spirit of the age is, I don't want to be committed to it. People are getting married later and later and later. Why? I don't really want to say forsaking all others. You know, if these days a guy turns to a girl and says to her, would you like to? And she's thinking, ah, move in. Oh. You know, it's kind of... We don't bother about marriage anymore because it's kind of exclusive. It's kind of committed. You kind of make statements and promises and let's just move in. I mean, and uh, so the guy doesn't have to make any promise. Uh, and it's not because that's got, I mean, that's the way to do it. It's successful. It's the best way to get, no, no, no. The stats say, no, actually, it's not very successful. It's not very successful. But we live in a hang loose generation. Please don't call me to say, forsaking all others, I do this. Because I don't want to forsake anything because I want to keep my options open. I, I might be here, I might be there, I might go there, I might do this. In the church, I'll be here while I'm here, but I might go. Hard to build a church that way. I remember one of our guys who was a police guy, and I'd asked him to be a small group leader in the first church we were involved in. And he said, wow, really? I said, yeah, I feel that would be good for you. And he's a really good guy. He's just been filled with the Spirit. Very early days, this. And soon he was invited in to meet with the guy in charge. The officer said, uh, you're in line for promotion. It's time to move you on. And uh, he replied and said, uh, 
actually, sir, um, can I be promoted here? Uh, no, 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 promotion needs to move. Well, sir, um, I'd rather wait for that. Oh, I beg your pardon? Uh, I'd rather wait about that. And he said, what are you saying? He said, well, I've just been asked to be a small group leader in my church. Um, so it's, it's a big commitment, really. So his, his, his boss looked at him and said, you have just committed professional suicide. Because he put the church first. Put the church first. Well, maybe in our days of expansion, you'll put the church first and say, yes, I will move, because God wants us to plant the church over there. Times have changed. In those early days, we were digging deep foundations for a culture that has now multiplied across the nations. But when we started, we had to dig very deep. And the guy said, no, you've just committed professional suicide. Some years later, actually, and he didn't know this would happen, when I moved from that church to plant the next church, he became the pastor of that church. He didn't know that when he made that choice. You see, he committed himself. Uh, he began, he decided, he made a decision. Sometimes people will ask at the end of a meeting, they'll just come up to you and say, would you pray for me? And, and I, you know, you say, what would you like me to pray? Oh, just pray a blessing. Uh, and I'll, I'll often pray, Lord, help them make good choices. Help them make good choices. Do you know, growing in the Christian life has a lot to do with making good choices. It really does. It really does. Making good choices. It's not, oh, I just feel blessed today. It's about making good choices that really make a big impact on your life. And it means sometimes those choices are costly. It affects what you do. So now I've, I've, I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something. I'm going to build this. We had the uh, uh, Olympics in London a couple of years back. It was very exciting having the Olympics. Uh, and you saw these guys you know, winning these races and so on. Uh, and you see a guy stand on the podium. And he would have made choices through the years. You coming to the party? No, I don't think so. I can't do this. No, I don't think. What's with you? Well, actually, I think maybe I could run faster than anybody in the world. <laughs> I just feel I could do that. And then they stand on that podium, and, and they're there with all the cameras on them, and their national anthem as their flag goes up. Yeah, I thought I could do that. See, beloved, if you're captivated by something, it makes you make choices. This guy's been chosen to build a house. God said, I chose you to be fruitful for me. I, I, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I've got my hand on you. Come on. I've got great plans for you. You don't know the plans I've got for you. And so you make decisions. He made a decision. Romans 12 says this, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is actually, it says your spiritual worship. Actually, the Greek word is logical, logikos. It means it makes sense. Give yourself over to God, it makes sense. That's what you could translate it. It's, your, it's reasonable, it's logical. Come on, he's given himself. Let's give ourselves. That's what's being said here. Don't be indecisive. Are you indecisive? You say, oh, I don't know, really. <laughs> That's right. If you're not careful, that becomes part of your characteristic. And you can be a bit like that on theology. So I used to do that. Oh, I'm not sure I do. No, I believe that now. 
we need to be decisive. What is it? What is it I'm believing? What am I committing myself to? And so there's a decisiveness. It's important for us. He'd chosen to be, build a house. He said, I'm going to build the house. Then the next one, if you turn over the page again, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. So we've seen chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house for the Lord. He began to build it. He began to build the house. Verse 2. He began to build on the second day, in the second month, in the fourth year of his reign. Now there are foundations which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God. The length in cubits, according to the old standard, was 60 cubits. The width, 20 cubits. Right, so now he's going to begin to build. He was a dreamer. He had a dream. I'm going to build a house. It's great to be a dreamer. It really is. It's great it's to have something in your heart. It's about, De- about Nehemiah. Before he started rebuilding the city, he said, I didn't tell them what was in my heart. He got it in his heart. He was captivated by a vision. And it's visionaries that we need. We need visionaries. We need people who see something. It said about Abraham, he saw a city. He went out, didn't know where he was going, but he seen a city, saw a city with a foundation that captivated him. That's true of all these guys. Uh, Moses turned his back on wealth, prestige, anything he wanted, because why? For that joy that he see, he'd seen something, the, the, the reproach of Christ, something he'd seen. And many, many of these Bible characters, they turn their back on the immediate because they've seen something that's changed their value system. It's just done a job on them. They've just affected them. And so he had a dream. I'm gonna, I am going to build a house for God. I'm going to build a temple. Something he had in his heart. He wanted to do it. It was a, a dream that he had. And it's important to have dreams. It's important to think, I'm going to do this thing. It's in his heart. Cultivate things that are in your heart. Faith, what? The, it's the fulfillment of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things hoped for. Some of us don't cultivate hope. You say, what's faith? Well, come on. What are you hoping for? What are you, what are you developing within? What's your dream? Faith grows in that atmosphere. Faith gets conviction about it. If you don't have any dreams, ask God to put dreams in your heart. He had this dream in his heart. He had this, and then he began to build. Now, notice this. When he starts building, you find dates come in. On the second day of the second month. When something's going to actually get built and be changed from a dream to an event, you've got to put dates in the diary. And hard on the heel of dates are what? Cubits. I mean, how boring can that be? It's dates and cubits. You mean I've got to measure? Yeah, you've got to measure. But I've got a dream. Yeah, you've got to measure as well. It's easier to have dreams than to have measurements. It's easier to have dreams and dates when you're saying this is going to happen and, and to have cubits. In other words, you start putting in building blocks. You start doing something. It moves from dream, which is very, very important, to action. He began to build. He began to build. When you're building, that's when the reality checks start hitting in a way that never happened when you just had a dream. See Nehemiah. <laughs> See, Nehemiah had a dream. He said, he said, he said, he said I went round the wall 
He said, I didn't tell anybody what was in my heart as I looked at these ruins and I, I wanted to rebuild them. No one opposed him while he had a dream. When he started building, ah, that's different. Once he started putting one brick on another, what are you doing? I'm building, you're doing what? I'm building a house for God. Who do you think you are? We know what's in your heart. You want to be a king. I mean, they, they challenge his motives. They challenge his heart. They say wicked things about him. There are people that are disloyal. They, they say, if a fox ran up, it'll all fall down. They mock him. When it looks as though there's going to be success, they say, be careful, they're going to kill him. I mean, he gets so much opposition. When? When he starts building. When he starts building. When we started building, the hostility was frightening. When we had a dream... When you start building, boy. Here, but directly started building, you get backlash, deception, disloyalty. Dreams are great. But you find as you start to build, there'll be opposition. We're called to a battle, beloved. When you became a Christian, you took on board what you didn't think about an enemy. You have an enemy. You're going to get hostility. You're going to get fiery darts. You're going to get hostility coming at you. And, and we just need to learn, no, no, I'm going to begin to build. I'm going to commit myself to this. We're going to be settling this matter. We're going to do it. It means, <laughs> you know, I'm going to serve God. I want to be a leader. Great, we have a leadership course. Uh, a course? What's that? Uh, well, it happens every, every week. Oh, uh, I'm going to be a leader. Uh, no, <laughs> happens every week. Here's the form you have to fill in fill in the form yeah and here's the books you the books I have to read yeah and this is the home the homework I have to do now I'm going to be a leader oh I just really see myself as a leader no <laughs> once you start building you have to start cubits you have to commit yourself you have to say right I'm going to do this I'm going to be there I'll count on me I'll be there Ed Cole says this people think maturity comes with age growing old comes with age maturity comes with taking responsibility I know some incredibly mature young guys and girls incredible maturity I know some silly old men see old age doesn't mean maturity taking responsibility saying yeah I'll be there he began to build and when you directly get that he began to build dates cubits that's the way it happens it has to be like that has to be like that. Has to, you start measuring. You start seeing things happen. You see setbacks. You win through battles. Beloved, even in a relationship. See, I think I love her. We had our first argument. We just kind of lost one another for a bit. And I think that's the end of that relationship. I walk away. Hey, what about working it through? What about trying to find out what was behind that? Why, why, aren't you going to work at it? Well, I don't know. I'll walk away from it. All sorts of things, they require commitment. Marriages require commitment. And people walk away rather than work it through. You have to work at it. You have to be systematic. I, I remember when I, when I was at Bible college, there was a guy who was the, the kind of chief student. I've forgotten what we called him now, but he was the chief student. And uh, uh, I went to his room once to speak to him. And as I, I walked into his room, and all around the room, these little yellow stick-on things. 
and, and there's English and weird stuff written on every, every one. English and weird stuff. English and weird stuff. And I say, what is, what's this? Uh, and he said, uh, it's Japanese. I said, well, what's going on Japanese? He said, yeah, he said, um, I'm going to Japan. He's already married, so Elsa, he and his wife, we're going to Japan. There's bits of paper stuck on the mirror and all around. There's the English and there's this stuff. And then I was speaking at a conference uh, in England just a few years ago now. And Wendy and I were in the, in the food line. And we're waiting for the food. And uh, uh, I, I see Ralph and Elsa, this couple. I've not seen them for 40 years. I mean, I left college 40. I think, whoa. I said to Wendy, look, that's Ralph and Elsa. I haven't seen them since we were at college. You know, it's the same couple, faces are a little different, but that's them, I can see them. And I go, I say, I say Ralph, I said, it's Terry, Wendy. Oh, wow. I said, well, what should we doing? He said, oh, we've just come back. We've been serving God in Japan for 40 years. Yeah, it started with bits of paper on the wall. Now he's got 40 years he's done in Japan. See, he committed himself, he made it happen. He made it happen. He got on with it building you're building a prayer life oh it's hard yeah I know it is it says in the Bible we don't know how to pray as we ought it's good as in the Bible the Bible knows about it we don't know how to pray but Jesus said men should always pray and not give up you build it you better, you better at it than you were oh, I don't know. No, we're building 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 a prayer life we build a prayer life we learn we pray ourselves into prayer. We learn how to do it. You find someone to pray with you. You say to one of the older ladies in the church, if you're a young lady, you're a young mum with kids, I don't know, oh, that older lady, she's so godly. Pop in and say, look, just kids, will you pray with me for an hour? Can I pray with you? Build a prayer life. Learn how to do it. When I left Bible college, well, big time when I left secular work, I've never even been to Bible college. I'm going door to door doing evangelism. And I realized, I don't know anything. I've only been saved a little while. Been filled with the Spirit. I put down my job. I went. I thought, oh, I don't know what I believe, really. So I, <laughs> I, I, I bought what's called Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. And uh, what Peter Lewis calls Deep Frozen Burkhoff. Anyway, <laughs> in ve very, very tiny print. And I bought my Systematic Theology. And I got my paper. And I worked through it. Jesus, my prophet, priest, and king. Oh, yeah. Father, son. Oh, yeah, okay, I see. I'm writing, I'm learning, I'm building, I'm building, I'm building some knowledge. You're building some knowledge? Building a bit of a library? Oh, don't you think? Now, come on. You're going to build? You're going to build your life up? You believe you're chosen of God to bear fruit for him? You believe you're a son of the king? We need to start building some stuff. He began to build. He moved on from being a dreamer to being a builder. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We've been singing it. Some people say, oh, it doesn't do it for me. I'm still not free. I get into all sorts of a mess. Jesus said, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
if you continue in my word, if you let the word persuade you, if you let the word captivate you, let the word give you revelation, understanding, you start building your understanding. The truth will set you free. Not by an occasional visit, but letting it get into you. The truth will set you free. It says so. So he began to build, okay? Then just over the page again, chapter 5, all right? We're going to go two chapters this time. It takes longer when you start building. Chapter 5, verse 1. Thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. Finished. That's a good word, isn't it? Finished. He had a dream. He began it. He finished it. Bringing it to completion. Completing the task. David fell asleep having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. He fulfilled the task. God wants us to have that attitude. We get it finished. We get it finished. When I was working on this, I, I wrote to my daughter Anna, who lives in Cape Town. And in the middle of Cape Town, there's uh, what we call a flyover. I don't know if you call that, that in the States, when a, a road goes up and it's going to go over. And there's a very famous flyover in the middle of Cape Town, and it stops. It just goes up and it stops. And happily it's sealed this end, but it just goes up. And there's no one working on it. I mean, it's just there. And I don't know the story. There's got to be a story behind that. But there's a flyover and it goes, and it stops. And uh, you think, wow, I wonder what, what that's all about. And I, I, wrote, I wrote to uh, Anna. I said, can you send me a photo of that? And her husband, Steve, wrote, said, there's a website. It's full of unfinished bridges. And you go on, there's all these pictures. Of them, finished. And then what are the story behind that? It's a kind of good idea which we abandoned. We started, but we didn't finish. And, and, and Jesus warns about that. He says, no one goes to war without making sure he's got the right number. He says, you don't start building until you've got the right number. You make sure and you get it done. You get it finished. You get it finished. You see, there are many things that prevent us finishing and that's hard it's hard to see someone who began and didn't finish and I've, I've been around long enough I'm afraid to see people who started and didn't finish even while I've been here I had a call followed by a phone call of a guy I think oh no guy who started and you think oh he's messed up messed up messed up a leader messed up it's tragic when it happens it's tragic when it happens the moment when suddenly this beautiful woman's eyes catch your eye and you're a leader and that moment you think hey kill it kill it but he didn't he pursued it you think, oh, God, that is so terrible. Because he started, he didn't finish. When I was at Bible college, sorry I keep yanking on about that, but after a while, I used to get letters each year saying what the guys in my year were now doing. And as the years went by, the list of guys still in ministry went down and down and down. The number of guys who were still in Christian ministry, it stopped. They didn't finish. But you have to finish. You have to finish. You have to see it through. 
He finished it. He brought it to a conclusion. Not like those things in your garage, you know, <laughs> or in the loft. You ah, so, no, leave it. God wants us to bring it to a completion, to conclude it. So I've done it. I've done it. And he finished it. He, he completed it. He didn't abandon it. All sorts of things can make you abandon. There was a guy in the UK who was a great leader and he got cancer. And he, to my amazement, came right through it. And I remember being in a meeting of brothers turned up because people said, will he turn I don't think so. He's only just come through battle with cancer. I don't think he'll be back yet. And then the dear brother walked in the room and he's, he's got stubble of his hair beginning to grow again. And uh, he's through. You think, wow. I said, how, how did it happen? What did you do? So he said, well, I just know all these books. I know the promises. But, you know, when it's your life, you want something from God. And he said, I, I, I said to the Lord, I'm going to read John's gospel. I want you to speak to me from John's gospel. I'm just gonna, I just need to shut in. I need to know it's you. And, he, and a verse came to him, absolutely came to him. He said, I believed it. I clung to that. I've clung to that. And I just know God helped me and God brought me through. And I thought, whoa, what a guy. And, uh, you know, when, when a guy comes through like that, you think, Phew, he's made it. He's like he's made it. He's, he's a mighty guy now. He's, been, he's faced death. He's come through. Two years later, he left his wife and went off with another woman. You think, but you got, you got through that. See, it, it, this, is, this needs a bit of ruthlessness. It needs some commitment to finish. He finished. He finished it. See, all sorts of things can stop you. Despondency, setbacks, disappointments, other people failing you, people not seeming to be for you. I know when I was in the, my first church as a pastor, leadership was all hostile to one another. I thought, ah, oh, this is hopeless. People are getting filled with the Spirit, but others were saying, well, oh, I don't like what's happening here. Gifts of the Spirit, not sure about that. And mm, Leadership was all in disarray. And I wrote my letter of resignation. I wrote it, I said, I cannot see how God can bless a church with such a disunited leadership. I wrote it, and I finished it, and I felt God drew near to me. I thought he said this to me. Very nice. Did I tell you to write that? <laughs> and I, and I, I, I said, no, Lord. He said, throw it away then. <laughs> so we had to keep going. Throw it away. Because despondency can finish you off. Sin can finish you off. Disillusionment can finish you off. Keep faith, Paul says, and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. You're a believer. You've got a conscience. It's not like you walk into stuff and God doesn't warn you. When a godly man or woman messes up, they are making a choice not to obey their conscience. That's what the Bible says. Good conscience, some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. I don't know if you know uh, the Titanic. I only discovered this more recently. The Titanic, they were warned there was ice in the area. There were serious warnings of huge danger. But the captain was on his final uh, cruise, whatever, and, and he wanted to break the Atlantic crossing record. He wanted this magnificent ship he'd got. 
to break the record, the time for crossing the Atlantic. So he ignored the warnings and shipwrecked the whole thing. When you feel a warning, think careful. When you think, hey, wait a minute, what's happening here? Just, just the thing. I remember years ago, I'll be very honest with you, I remember years ago when a very attractive girl was going to be my secretary. I started praying about it before it's happened. I've started praying. I said, God, I'm nervous of this. I'm praying about this now. As it happened, it, it, never, it never worked out the way I thought it was going to work out. But I, I, saw it in, I saw it in the bard. I thought, I'm going to be with this girl a lot. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that. So I prayed about it early. I don't want this. I want to finish. I don't want to. I don't want to abandon. Paul says this. I don't count my life as of any value, nor as precious in my, to myself. If only I might finish my course, and the ministry which I received from the Lord. I want to finish well, don't you? To finish well. It makes. It's about making great, great steps. He finished it. Before I, before I close, let me just talk to you about, Jesus said this, one greater than Solomon is here. One greater than Solomon. What a saviour. From the beginning, from the beginning, this is my beloved son <laughs> in whom I'm well pleased. He knew he was chosen of God. He knew it. He knew I'm the chosen of God to do this. He's captivated by this massive privilege. I am the chosen of God. I'm called to do this thing. I'm going to see this thing through. And as he went, it says he set his face. He made all kinds, all kinds of choices. People say, don't get, get behind me, Satan. He's like, all these things, he's kind of clear, very clear, very focused. Very, I'm going to be, I will build my house. The gates of hell was not going to prevail about I'm going to get this house built. He's, he's, the, he's the great one. He's not just the son of David. If you like. He's like the son of Solomon. He's the, he's the one who's going to build the house for God. He's determined he can complete this thing. I want to see this thing through. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, about Robin Hood. I, I, forgot, I think it might be called Prince of Thieves. I'm not quite sure. It's the Kevin Costner one. The Kevin Costner one? Forget the others. That's the one. You know, Russell Crowe, forget it. I like Russell Crowe, but no, no, no. The Kevin Costner one is the one. My kids love it. They know it by, they just know it. I mean, she fan, he fancies you, my lady, and all this kind of stuff, you know. Abandoned <laughs> Christmas. Oh, it's just lovely. They just know it. My kids love it. And they just know that wonderful Kevin Costner. <laughs> and my son Joel said, you realize Robin Hood is about the church? So I said, what? Robin Hood's about the church. He said, Robin Hood and his merry men. There's the clue for a start. And he said, there's a king, and, and the king's absent. There's an enemy. There's a prince that gets raised up. And, and, and they're like a band of brothers against the pressure. He said, I thought, well, that's very good. That's the church. He said, that's the church. And... Uh, there comes a point in the movie which I think is only in that movie where this is other guy I think it's played by Christian Slater and uh, he, he, he's, he's not very fond of Robin of Loxley Robin Hood and, and they have a bit of a fight 
and the enemy comes in and burns their whole thing down. Remember this, the movie? The house, not many of you have seen it, sorry. It comes down, and then, and then this guy turns against Robin, and he knows that he's from kind of royal stock, or at least from um, arist- aristocracy, and this guy isn't. And he said, you started leading us, and now it's all gone wrong, and now it's all going up in flames. And, and then he says to Robin, who said, so he says, okay rich boy are you going to finish what you started it's a church (laughs) when he comes to the cross Lord can this cup pass from me I don't belong here I'm not one of these people okay rich boy are you going to finish what you started he said, well, I won't abandon it. He said, for this purpose came I to this hour. And he drinks the cup. I, that's what I came for. That's, that's the thing. That's what I'm here for. He shuddered for a moment when he looked at the horror of the cross. He shuddered for a moment in Gethsemane. He's crying. He's, he's shedding. He's sweating like blood. I don't know if you ever think of that. He's crying out with cries and tears and he's sweating blood and he's saying if it's possible let this cup pass from me but nevertheless your will be done what shall I say save me from this hour no to this purpose I came to this hour for this purpose okay rich boy you're going to finish it and he finishes it and you get this wonderful phrase don't you one of the last things that said Last things that said, he's on the cross. He shouts out, "It is finished! I've done it." It's not it's finished. I don't believe it's it's accomplished. What the word means? It means it's accomplished. I've done it. When in John four, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and the disciples have gone off to buy food, and they come back with the food, and they say, "Haven't you had anything to eat?" He said, "I've got food to eat. You don't know anything about." This is my meat to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, to finish his work. That word accomplished is three times in that gospel. That's one, John 4, to finish it. Then John 17, that wonderful prayer when he says, Lord, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. And then ultimately on the cross, it is finished beloved we have one who's done it for us he's, he, he's, he's taken away all our guilt and shame all our failure and he says look I'll, I've finished it for you he's come to draw us into his slipstream follow me come into my way come and learn of me I've come given myself I'm inviting you. I've chosen you. You had no claim on me. Solomon had no claim on the throne. He shouldn't be there. There were others more qualified. But (laughs) there's a lot more qualified than me, a lot more qualified than you. But he's chosen you. You're going to throw that away? Or you're going to say, Lord, I will, I will. I will establish this throne. I will dream something for you. I will start building it. 
I won't give up when it's tough and I'll finish it for your glory beloved that's the way we're going to plant churches all over the USA that's the way we're going to raise up leaders that's the way we're going to say yeah count me and I will be trained I'll turn up you mean all that yeah you're going to overcome that age you live in I live in Babylon where no one makes choices no you make choices we're going to build a different culture beloved not just people who come through our building a different culture where people say never see it through when me and my wife have a row, we're going to see it through. We don't walk away. We see it through. We're building a different culture. We're going to finish. We're going to finish for the glory of God. We'll build another culture in town after town after town. God will multiply us if we're worth multiplying. Does God want more of us? As, uh, what he's got here, is it worth multiplying? That's the deal, isn't it? Is it worth multiplying? What's the point if it isn't? But if he's built something into us that's worth multiplying, he'll do it again and again and again. And while John's been leading this movement in the States, it's grown and grown and grown and grown. We're talking towns and celebrations, places we people we never knew have become dear friends. We didn't know. We didn't know Travis in, in um, California. We didn't know him. <laughs> Now he's a dear brother hosting a celebration. God will do it again and again and again for his glory if we'll see it through. Shall we stand to pray? Father, thank you so much that you ever make it clear you chose us. Lord, we're just amazed, staggered, Father, that you show any interest in anyone so boring as us, as willful as us, as half-hearted. Lord, you know, you know my frame. You know our hearts. Lord, we're amazed that you said, no, I've chosen you. I'll stand by you. I'll answer your prayers. I'll do amazing things. And Father, we, I just pray right now, we pray for one another. Oh God, please don't let us waste this incredible privilege. The Lord has chosen you to build a house. Oh Father, let it, let it just get right into the depths of our hearts. We've been chosen. We're lively stones in something you're building. We have our part to play in something. We're your workmanship. You spoke to us last night. We're your work of art. Keep working on us, Father. Keep working on us. It may be you feel God's spoken to you. It's helpful sometimes just to register that and say, yes, Lord, I, I just want to make sure, please, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. Count me in. It says in the Psalms, my feet are within your gates, O Zion. Your feet inside the gates, you come through the gate, you're in there if, you, if you're saying to God Lord I, count me in I, I mean business for you why don't you just come forward now and we'll pray for you just slip out of your row say excuse me excuse me if you felt God spoke to you this morning particularly you may have just echoed everything you're already believing but maybe he touched on something you feel no I need to come would you like to do that right now just come now maybe the band could come now as well please Let's come to Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Well, the band have come. Would you like to sing a song? As we're singing, just come. Um, yeah. Just come if God's speaking to you. There's those who pray for people. Would you come as well, please? Those of you who pray for people, you may have a ministry team in your church, you may be a small group leader, elders. Let's just come and line up with people, guys with guys, girls with girls. Let's, let's just get there. We haven't very long, so let's come. Um,